Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. This is Tom Salemi, your host. I'm very happy to have you with us today. Uh, we had the MedTech conference two weeks ago on June 1st at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. I sincerely hope you were there. It was a great day. Uh, lots of uh, positive feelings about the MedTech sector, which was uh, something we haven't seen in, uh, in uh, MedTech conferences uh, as of late. Uh, of course, we always uh, try to make ours informative and upbeat. And this time around, I think it really just clicked that there's uh, a great deal of, uh, of success in MedTech, a great deal of resiliency amongst uh, the successful entrepreneurs and executives. And uh, that really uh, showed on on stage, and uh, you'll have a chance to watch it yourself. If you go to the medtechconference.com website, um, whether or not you've been at the uh, conference or attended this year, you can uh, review the uh, interviews and keynote discussions and and panel discussions that took place on the stage. Again, go to medtechconference.com, check out those uh, panel discussions. Also, we've got some interviews up there that I did with uh, folks like Josh Mackauer, uh, Mark Leahy, uh, Jeff Martha, uh, Andrew Cleland, uh, Mark Schultz of PwC. Uh, had an opportunity to talk to, to many of MedTech's leaders and uh, very happy to put those uh, those interviews up there. And we'll have some more content going up uh, up there very shortly. Today, though, I did want to talk about uh, the podcast. Uh, very happy to have you back on the MedTech Talk podcast and uh, very happy to have our guest today, Julie Allen is Managing Director of Allen Partners. Allen Partners is an executive search and a leadership advisory firm, and uh, serves uh, med tech clients and healthcare clients, uh, helping them find the right uh, executive talent, but also uh, helping them sort of to, to figure out uh, how to move forward uh, with, the, with the talent they have. And uh, Julie's uh, in an interesting position in that uh, med tech is undergoing uh, a lot of change, a lot of consolidation. Uh, we've talked about some of the challenges in financings. Uh, so there's there's uh, a need for really strong executive talent at the startup level. At the same time, though, uh, I wondered and talked to Julie about this, whether or not there's a, a lack of desire of big company executives to, to leave sort of the, the, the safety of those companies. So it's kind of... Uh, uh, six one way, half a dozen the other sort of situation. Uh, you know, they they may be more driven to uh, to venture out on their own, given some of the uncertainty and consolidation at the uh, at the higher levels of medtech. Uh, but uh, they also may choose uh, to uh, to stay put and uh, and take their chances in the big company. Anyway, it's an interesting time in medtech. I talked to Julie about that. Talked to her about uh, sort of the the changing. Uh, priorities of uh, medtech startups, how they need uh, executives with deeper knowledges, knowledge rather of uh, payers and providers and things like that. It was really a, a far-ranging conversation uh, talking about the do's and don'ts of, of what you're doing uh, if you find yourself looking for work or what you, you may want to do or may not want to do. The impact of social media, it's, uh, again, it's a great far-ranging conversation always enjoy talking with uh with Julie Allen and I'm sure you will enjoy uh this conversation on the MedTech Talk podcast. Julie Allen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be with you. 
It's great to have you here. You've always been a valuable member of the MedTech Conference and uh, happy to have you take part again uh, this year. And, and, and it's certainly an interesting time. It's always an interesting time in MedTech. We both know that. But given the, the I'd love to get your perspective on the consolidation that we're seeing at the upper levels uh, in MedTech. Obviously, we've got the recent uh, planned uh, or, or announced merger between Abbott and St. Jude. At the same time, we're sort of seeing a shrinking of venture capital, uh, which obviously would lead to fewer startups getting funded. I wonder how these two forces, you know, the consolidation of the big guys, the, 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 the reduction of capital for the little guys, are you seeing any sort of impact on, on the supply of executives in MedTech, either for, for the better or for the worse? Yeah, it's a great um, multifaceted question um, relative to supply, but also in terms of the, I think, the impact on the overall market. So um, when we spoke the other day, you were asking about, you know, whether people might be clinging to their big company jobs or mm -hmm. looking to, to take advantage of a buyout. And I've not seen really big trends one way or the other here, but um, certainly this happens on an individual level. But um, I think the, the industry consolidation, both from an opportunistic perspective that avails for some, as well as um, ambivalence that it might create for others, I think causes people to think more introspectively about their careers and aspirations and lives in general. So, you know, in response to the question about how the consolidation has impacted the market, I think I'd like to answer it in terms of how it's, it's helped to shape and change human behavior really over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. That's from, a great point. Yep. <laughs> I think you think about platforms like uh, LinkedIn and smartphones, you know, those are both new, you know, in the last 10 years or so. And the other in industry dynamics that we both know of the economic crisis in 2008 and elimination of the, the mid-sized sector and reduction of venture capital and squeeze on innovation from the medical device tax and now the mega acquisitions. And as we both have seen, you know, these factors are unbelievable. They're fascinating and they're complex. And I think as a result of um, one of the realities is the amount of executive talent in the market due to this consolidation. And I think there has um, created in some ways uh, a perceived kind of easeability to hiring, you know, given the talent available and uh, relatively easy ability to tap the network to find or um, hire people. Mm. And I think there are good and bad aspects to this. Certainly, I think you and I both have seen some just tremendous uh, CEOs that have had great success recruiting the same leaders across multiple successful companies. And they've been, it's been really neat to see how they've had such a loyal following and, and repeated success. And then, you know, on the other hand, I've also seen how the availability of so much talent can really mask an otherwise discerning eye. And, you know, I think platforms like, like LinkedIn and, and how we all use our smartphones are, you know, are necessary and, and they're phenomenal to a large degree. But I also think it's, it's changed how people communicate with each other and, I think it's likely fueled by the sheer volume of data that we're mm -hmm. all exposed to on a daily basis. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, no, it's true. And, I mean, we all do our searches on LinkedIn. You can search by title and, and come up with a whole list of people who held the title that you're sort of looking to fill. But uh, there's a lot more to the picture than than just that. 
Yeah, there absolutely is. And, you know, people are pursued all the time. And I, I think to some degree, it, it kind of creates an overhype in the marketplace of, you know, of people's credentials or their, you know, their own perception of how they might be valued in the marketplace. And um, I think it, it also forces people to stay on, on the surface and make quick assessment of things. And, you know, I just, um, I just don't think that's right. You know, we're, we're intricate, complex beings and how we respond or don't respond has meaning uh, that we need to understand. And so with so much talent in the market and uh, so many people being pursued to network, obtain referrals, you know, field calls from recruiters and, you know, caribous are busting at the seams with meetings. Um, I personally think this can sometimes overtax people and we can lose our compass along the way, especially when it comes to hiring the right leaders. So when you see a deal like Abbott and St. Jude happening, I know you, you of the many services you provide, executive search is one, and that's one that you're best known for. Does that, how does that resonate with you? Do you kind of you know, put your hands together and say, oh, oh great, There's a, there likely will be a supply of, of new talent coming out here? Or again, does it sort of make your job a little harder because people might be holding on to what they have a little tighter? I guess it really depends on the person as to how confident they are in their abilities and how strong their desire to sort of be part of an innovative culture is? Yeah, that is such a great question. And and I would say that I, I probably view it maybe a little bit differently simply because I think most people that know us know that we're not focused on being a scale-up firm, that we really value the um, the smallness to be agile with our clients, but also be able to get to a deeper point uh, with people. And I think that's why We've been successful and, and have had um, success with our clients. Um, but what I see happening as a result of that, what you just mentioned, is that um, people are spending a lot of time meeting with a lot of people with the goal of, of networking and, and meeting with someone and then getting two or three names and, and continuing that on. And so, you know, I'll offer a couple of examples of how this plays out. So um, in a given week, you know, I might receive... 25 or 30 long emails from people who've been referred to me by people that I know and respect. And so I, I naturally try to be responsive, uh, even if I may not be working on an opportunity that might be right for them. And this could be those that are, are actively looking for change, or it could be those that are very confidentially kind of looking um, to have a quiet conversation in light of not having a clear picture of what might occur within mm -hmm. their company due to an acquisition, et cetera. But um, I think a lot of people, you know, can, can relate to this uh, getting, you know, asked for a lot of networking opportunities. And so someone called me the other day and, and he was eager to tell me that he's met with 60 people over the past two months. And he was also hopeful to get my insights about his background and if I would keep him in mind and, and see if there are a few other names of people that I could offer to him to network with. And I interrupted his train of thought with a, a few thought provoking questions. And he disclosed that his days were filled with this activity, uh, but didn't have a clear sense of where the high volume networking would lead. And he wasn't getting any feedback that was directionally helpful. And he also felt a little bit funny when, when people would reschedule the meetings and he began to wonder if, if they were really interested in meeting. And mm. so I thought, gosh, you know, what's going on here? And this happens all the time. So many people are, are doing this and he's not, uh, he's not unique to this, but um, I gave him a few things to think about because his approach, I think, lacked discipline. And um, 
beyond the, the significant time invested here, um, you know, you might say, well, what's the downfall? And so from my humble opinion, I think several things happen. I think that too many people are approached in a lot of random ways. Um, and I think this creates an overhype um, that can bolster people's perception of the value of their credentials or leaves others wondering. And I think other times people don't get true, honest, constructive feedback because there is often less engagement and less listening and less discernment. And we've witnessed how this impacts people's decisions. And in this setting, a CEO runs the risk of making a, a poor hire or a candidate might join without having a, a clear picture of the opportunity or the culture. And other times, you know, I've seen CEOs and boards really pursue candidates heavily, but the backdrop that they don't have visibility to is that the candidate may be going forward simply to see where it may lead out of respect for the person who referred him, but he may not truly have intentions of joining the company. And hmm. I've seen this happen many times and there's a lot of time and effort that's exerted. So that's how I see um, things playing out uh, in the marketplace with a lot of people kind of doing the same thing. And I, I think people would, um, you know, would spend their time, I think, either being honest with how they can help someone today from a network discussion or for people to keep their eye on where some of the other growing markets are that uh, where they could turn their attention, where their own value proposition can be really, you know, really impactful. But um, I don't think that the, the volume and the way people are approached um, is oftentimes the best way yeah, that's great, uh, to go about things. That's a great point. I remember uh, I went through a change myself two years ago and the advice I got was like, just have lunch, have lunch with everybody. Meet, 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 meet. And you're right. If you, I mean, it's certainly, you can certainly hope that you make that right connection in that way. It's kind of like occupational speed dating, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> is it better to, to have fewer meetings and really be focused and, and, and well-versed in, in each person you're meeting with? Because if, you if you have fewer meetings, but you're able to do research and really understand that person's perspective, I have to think those lunches would be more interesting for the person that you're meeting with as opposed to someone who's just meeting with someone to meet with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have a client of mine, and um, I wasn't planning on saying this, and I obviously keeps the name confidential, but <laughs> he's a great, great leader, great leader, and a great person with solid core values. But he he oftentimes will say, um, and he knows that, that we don't start with this point anyway, but he'll say, you know, I, I'm not looking to, to meet with people that are recycled through the network. And that is not a very, obviously, um, nice way to talk about people. And, and he didn't mean it about any one person in particular, mm -hmm. but just about the, um, the approach that doesn't necessarily have a, you know, a, a broader intention. And yes, I believe that um, a more discerning approach um, that's purposeful, um, I think really um, maximizes people's time. I think it helps people make better informed decisions. I think people get more of an honest um, assessment of things. And um, I think people's decision-making and their time is, is really preserved for, um, you know, for things that are, are most important. You know, a couple years ago, here's another way kind of this plays out sometimes. I received a call from a board member who asked me to include someone in his network for a search that I was leading, uh, which happened to be with one of his portfolio companies. And the candidate was naturally thrilled to get his endorsement. 
And um, a few days later, the board member called me back and said that he wanted me to know that he wouldn't support this person, um, but that he, he needed the no to come through me and not him so he could preserve their relationship. And I found that fascinating, mm. you know, uh, maybe understandable on one level, but mm-hmm. possibly lack, lack courage on the other level. And how helpful it would have been for the for the candidate to know that. I'm going to take a break from uh, this conversation with Julie Allen just to remind you to go to uh, the medtechconference.com website. Yes, you can check out the content that I talked about at the top of the podcast, but you can also sign up for the MedTech Talk newsletter. So uh, we will send the, uh, the video content, these podcasts, and our own written content directly to your inbox. So go to medtechconference.com. While you're uh, checking out the fresh content up there, fill out our uh, very simple subscription form for the MedTech Talk newsletter and uh, get this, uh, this podcast and other great content delivered directly to your inbox. Now back to Julie Allen. We talked earlier on about the, the, the state of venture capital. We can look at the numbers. Uh, we're gonna, we'll have the, the numbers at the MedTech conference, you know, and, they're, and they're kind of steady compared to years, recent years. But capital is only one resource in the startup community. The other, of course, is people. Uh, what is the state of of people in medtech? What is the state of the, the the talent pool in medtech? Is it as strong as it's been from your perspective? Uh, do you mean in terms of the number um, of people who can who can do good jobs? That there are a lot of professionals who out there who are capable of doing a great job, or are we seeing a shallower t- talent pool uh, for medtech executives? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the um, I think the market is really rich with with a lot of really smart people uh, that are doing great things that want to continue to make a difference and um, uh, and have a lot of meaning in their careers in med tech. Um, so I think that uh, I'm still very impressed with a lot of the people that I meet. I think that um, where and this is similar to what we talked about just a few minutes ago. I think that where people really come alive, though, truly, is when they get to a point where where people draw them out. Because when when people are at a point of, of deeper conversation about their background and their skills and their accomplishments, most of the people, most people stay on the surface and, and generally say the, the same five things. So if you are um, looking at executive talent and you quickly make a snapshot judgment, you're going to make a lot of assumptions that may or may not be accurate about the person's background and their interests and their fit for a new company. And you have to, I think, really peel that onion back and really get to a deeper point. And people love that. People are oftentimes surprised when I might be working with a new company and that new CEO might um, might ask me about our approach. And he's usually surprised to to learn that I may spend six or seven hours with someone before I even present the opportunity that I'm working on. And I do that because I believe that time with people, it's uh, done in a trusted safe haven environment. That's where really you learn about people. You learn about their values, learn about how they think about the world and and their life. You think about how they, um, they interface with other people. You see their thought process, their critical thinking skills, what matters to them. And in that environment, it's so easy, I think, to be able to um, evaluate them uniquely for the needs of the company based on that company's stage of development and based on the core interests and needs that the company has. But 
you got to dive deep with both sides in order to get to that point of being able to say this person is uniquely qualified for this company. So, and vice versa. So your question is very good, but I think it really is, it just depends. You've got to get to that point of understanding. Mm -hmm. And then I think that um, every uh, core position can be filled successfully with the right person if the, if the right approach is taken. How do you get the person to sit down with you six or seven hours without telling them what the job is or what the company is? Are they, is it, does everyone, uh, uh, is everyone willing to take the conversation that far without knowing sort of where the end zone is? Or uh, are you just able to sort of give them enough information that they, they continue to meet with you? Or is it just, I don't know, maybe they just want to meet with you because they know you have a, a, a wide array of connections and it could lead to something else. <laughs> well, if I were to disclose it, I'd be giving away our secret <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for here. No, I'm teasing. I think truly, Tom, it's, um, I think I just take a different approach. You know, I, I got into this industry 15 years ago after losing my father from congestive heart failure. You know, I made a pivotal career shift and a total different industry because I believed in, I believed in the concept of working with companies and working with and representing people. I love the concept of that. I think that comes back to my, my leadership at Disney. You know, I, I love telling company stories and I love to um, be well read on what I'm doing. And I really enjoy the, the interaction with people. And I think as a side note, my, my dad had a PhD in philosophy. And so as a young girl, there were so many conversations around the coffee table about, you know, contemplation about life's biggest questions. And I think that made a really big impression on me my whole life. And so when I meet with people um, and I'm genuinely interested in getting to know who they are, the conversation just flows. It's not a Q&A interview. You know, it's it's not a a session that's quick because I, I'm looking for an end point. Um, and that happens. Mm -hmm. I see that happening all the time. It happened at the firm I, I was in with in Chicago years ago before I started this firm. And I, I saw that a lot of people were kind of treated like products for each other's own gain. And I just rejected that concept. I mean, people need to be valued. They need to be listened to and, and heard. And, and then you can draw great conclusions. And people like to talk about themselves. So if you can engage at a deeper point in a sincere, true way, and then give feedback, honest, straightforward feedback and say, gosh, this opportunity that I'm working on, I don't think it would be right. And here's why. And it's credible. And people then trust you. Or if you spend the time and, and then present an opportunity, that's also credible because you're speaking exactly to the points that, that you've learned about them that are most important. And that is how, at least for us, uh, in a very brief way, um, we've been able to recruit people that have not been looking for change. But our focus hasn't been with, uh, with a motivation uh, that has been a fee-driven mindset. It's truly about let's draw things out to the point where it truly is a great fit for both sides. And I think that's why um, we have not had, you know, failed, failed placements. And mm -hmm. I think people appreciate that personal approach. I saw that your, your retention rate is 99% or, or so people, once, once someone is placed, they tend to stay until the objective is, uh, is achieved. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I think the, um, the focus is on really helping a CEO 
make the right decision and also the candidate. And so, you know, we've had um, one offer out of a few hundred that hasn't been accepted. Mm -hmm. And um, our retention rate is, you know, very close to that 99% mark. So, you know, we're proud of that. But I think that really with anything in life, I think all all good things take hard work. And I think I've been blessed with a, a strong degree of, of perseverance and fortitude. And um, I think when you do that it, in anything that you do, there's usually success that, that follows that. And mm-hmm. I think people people see that we we truly care about about what we do. And I, I think that sincere interest goes a long way. I got to back up. So you were at Disney before you were doing this? What were you doing at Disney? I was. I'm too <laughs> tall to have been Minnie Mouse <laughs> or maybe Cinderella. But no, I had a, just a great career with Disney. Started, you know, as an ambitious, um, you know, girl in high school, really wanting to, to be in leadership with Disney. Um, I just really loved the concept of, of what I saw. And then had a couple of management internships in college that led into full-time uh, management at uh, Disney MGM Studios after graduating from college. And I went to Central Michigan University solely because they had a, a great relationship with Disney. And um, after I was in that role at uh, Disney MGM Studios as a, a manager for about three and a half years, um, you know, I had a lot of opportunity to, at a young age, which was both good and bad. You know, I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes, but had some great mentors and always was in roles a little bit ahead of, of perhaps where I was, but it was great. And then I had a chance to um, to go to Disneyland Paris at a time when, um, you know, the company had evolved from Euro Disney to Disneyland Paris. So there was uh, only about, there were only about 10 Americans there when I was there. So they were profitable and it was a really good time to be there. And I was selected for that program and then came back to Walt Disney World and, um, was in a management position in, in brand management, marketing brand management for Walt Disney World, um, Disney Cruise Line, and mm. Disneyland California. So uh, it's, it was a great, great background. And I think foundationally, it, it set the set stage from a, a business background. You know, I don't come from an HR background, but more business. And, um, and I think that set a, a great foundation for the work that I do today. That's great. Well, how do you, going back again to the point that you, you serve a, you often work with people who aren't necessarily in the market for a new job, yet you're, you're getting to know them. Do you, do you have a way of identifying someone who you know, may believe and, and actually are very happy in their jobs and have no intention of leaving yet? There's something about them that, that resonates with you and that you know you want to get to know them better and you eventually think they would fit in a startup. What, is it, what are those qualities that you look for in, in that mm-hmm. kind of person? You know, I, this might be a little bit hard to believe, but it, it really is the truth. I would say that less than 1% of the time, you know, we're, we're placing people that are actively looking. So the majority of the time they are, they are not looking, not seeking change, but for the right opportunity would, would consider change. So it's our great discovery to understand what that is for them. And, um, you know, I tend to, um, again, I, I, going back to the, point of trying to get to a, a deeper point with people. Um, I try to look for people that have um, characteristics of, of great values. Um, you can tell how people live their life um, as you get to know them and, and you talk about them. You can tell how they respond and what they think about. 
And, um, and I listen, you know, to all of those things. I think people that have throughout their life demonstrated a hard work and a solid work ethic. I spend a lot of time listening um, about people's upbringing and it doesn't have to be a certain upbringing at all, but it's more the pathway of how they came to be who they are today that I really tend to value and appreciate. And so um, as you're thinking about all those things, you're also thinking about the company that you're representing. And if you have, you know, if you're deeply entrenched with the company and you know the team and you know what the company is trying to accomplish, it's easy to start drawing parallels that are complementary or not. And you can't do that. You can't do that blindly. So um, sometimes, you know, there's certain things that we might build into a, a candidate profile. I always, I always work with the CEO and, and his team and, you know, develop a special, you know, profile that includes a lot of characteristics that we're all looking for. And then we build our search strategy to that. And I don't think that's common. It usually starts at a point with a database. Our origin point is different. But, um, you know, sometimes we've, we've looked for people that have been, you know, competitive swimmers. You know, it's the one sport where you go without oxygen for a period of time. So maybe that, <laughs> that kind of perseverance has really, uh, you know, been, been neat to see. Other times, you know, people that have have worked their way through college um, on their own, or they've had school of hard knocks. I mean, people are impressive. You know, mm-hmm. you got to, you got to get to know where people come from, I think, to truly appreciate who they are today. Um, and that is hugely important. I think when you're thinking about the cultural fit um, and, you know, in today's world where um, sadly, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of families aren't staying together and, um People are, are caring for their elderly parents, and um, I've seen this especially with with CEOs when they hire people that they used to work with in the past. There's a there's a natural tendency to want to do that because we we like to go toward people that we know and, and familiar things. But uh, there's been many many times when we've had to rebuild teams from from those decisions because people's lives have changed and the stage of development for the company is different and the mix of people are different and who the person is and where they've traveled to or from needs to really be understood. And, um, you know, I think that I don't have any preconceived notion for anybody when I first get to know them, but it always is purposeful and focused and, um, uh, and intentional but it allows room uh, to to think more broadly. And I think that's also led to several what we call investment hires, where we've gotten to know people and um, may have presented them to one of our clients when they weren't necessarily looking for someone who had that background, but based on our knowledge of the horizon of the company and where they're going, um, this kind of person, you know, could be very helpful in terms of their longer-term goals. And so those types of opportunities would never happen either um, I think if you just stay on the surface or just review people uh, from a resume perspective, we we don't send resumes in the sense of we really present people um, thoroughly and then follow up with resumes once the, the interviews are set. And I think that's very different from mm-hmm. how the industry uh, presents things as well. That's a, a great segue to the final question. Has the profile mm-hmm. of a medtech CEO or, or executive changed uh, at all? You know, is, is 
sales and marketing for a CEO still critical or, or has there been sort of a, a, a combination of or, or a, a combining of skill sets? So is the, again, is the profile of a medtech executive changed at all since the time you've been doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that really depends on the, the company's stage of development and, and where they are and, and what's ahead and the interests of the CEO um, board and investors. Um, from my experience, I still see the majority of CEOs in the, the med tech emerging growth sector as having a sales and marketing background unless they're operating as a founder. Um, and I, I think if it's time for a, a founder to transition and the company is focused on a, a dual path of developing a strategic interest and also, you know, building a standalone successful company um, and the pathway to commercialization isn't fully determined. Um, I still think sales and marketing seems to be what, um, what still is common. And, and perhaps it's because those with this background might have the broadest view uh, mm-hmm. in regards to companies, um, you know, hiring people with different skill sets. I haven't seen this too much. And, um, I think most successful CEOs have have made it a point to understand uh, the role of payers and providers, uh, just like years ago when the industry realized the importance of, of reimbursement and, and now how healthcare economic benefits shape our, our market today. But I don't think these companies are, are going out and looking for people with that experience necessarily, uh, other than an aptitude toward how these market trends are shaping the industry. Hmm. And going back to your your point you made just prior to my question regarding sort of work life balance, is there mm-hmm. either from a candidate point of view or a company point of view, is there a, a a stronger appreciation of of that, or are startups still the kind of environment where you're burning the candle at both ends and and making <laughs> sacrifices that you know hopefully will pay off financially someday, but but you know will cost you unfortunately on the personal side of things. You know, um, that's a great question too. Yes, I think the I think the startup sector has, um, you know, people have asked to to do more with less, you know, but I think that the the people that tend to really love this sector of the market are the the kind of people that that really do want um, to make kind of a remarkable difference in the uh, in their work in the sense that they the 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 degree for which they want to add value in a company is is often matched by the degree for that company to to take that kind of of offering and so when people are working with um the right kind of leader uh and they are working toward a mission and usually in a startup there's there's one clear goal that people rally around and if the culture is solid people love that you know, and they're willing to make those sacrifices. But usually people know each other well, too. So there is an appreciation for how people live their life and the integration between work and home. And so I think, you know, I was in a conversation with um, with Andrew Cleland out at the American Heart Association um, Corvite event uh, last month. And I was so impressed with the conversation that we had, I mean, we were at a, a dinner at his house, and so it was a natural conversation. But his focus on um, and team and the aspirational elements of it, and he took me up to his office and he showed me this big plaque and this passion that he has. I mean, people will follow that. They will absolutely follow that. And he himself has a daughter, and so he values people's life beyond work. So if that, if people hire to that, 
people are willing to give it their all and they're not just in it for for the equity. That has to make sense and it always does when the mutual interests are are aligned. If you don't hire with that perspective though, and I've seen that happen a lot, a very early stage startup with a small mix of people cannot be uh, a well a well oiled team. And that can be very tough, especially if the company has um external facing that's important, you know, if they're trying to raise capital uh, or if they they can't make change given the stage of development, that can be very, very difficult. And I've had some clients of mine that have that have hired through their network back in 2008 when the stock market crashed and they needed to try to save a little bit of cash, which I understood from a burn rate standpoint, but I received calls back almost every time. And they said, can you help me come in and fix what I've done? I've, I hired well individually but I didn't do it through the lens of my uh, my whole team, and I I need to uh, to to make you know different decisions here. Some people haven't been able to um, make the changes that they otherwise would want to to make. So there's been kind of rebuilding of the culture, and other times it's been careful plans to um, to get another start. But no one, for sure, not one CEO I know wants to make a a bad hiring decision. Mm, that's for sure. And it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to Andrew, Andrew Cleland, of course, is one of our nominees for our MedTech Innovator Award. And I've talked to people about him and, and uh, it, it's amazing that they brought up the same point you just did, how he, he, he's a team guy. He values the family, you know, always asked about the kids. So it's, uh, it's a nice to have a, an unsolicited endorsement for, uh, for, that, for that approach. Yeah, absolutely. And in his little his daughter was there too and she is just as cute as they come. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You know. But you you asked also about, you know, the work life balance and I I thought I would just, you know, touch on that for just a minute cuz it's it's just such a a paradigm shift from how a lot of us kind of grew up with our our parents too and and what we saw growing up, but you know, my my father-in-law um, was an executive at, at Whirlpool, and he worked there his entire career. He was there for 30 years, started out as a product manager, and then, then rose through the ranks. And, you know, he he left every day at 5 o'clock and, and went to his son's baseball game, you know, every night. And if anyone ever needed him, um, you know, they just waited to the next day, 8 o'clock. And so I, I think things seemed simpler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, And yet I think that with the all the technology that we have and people being needed in so many multifaceted ways at the same time and the constant interruptions and demands, I do think people at their core more than ever um, want that personal approach because um, we've not changed as human beings, but we've had to adapt to our surroundings. And um, I think people are always striving to not necessarily try to get a work-life balance perhaps, but more of an integration of a healthy uh, integration between uh, business and home. At least yeah. that's what I found and no. what we also try to do. Amen. No, even, <laughs> if, even if you have a laptop open at home and, the, and you're with the kids, they know that you're not entirely there. So it's a, it is a challenge these days. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Well, I always enjoy talking with you, Julie Allen. Thanks for taking some time today to, to share your uh, very unique perspective on MedTech. Yeah, Tom, thank you so much. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you at the conference. Terrific. Well, thank you, Julie Allen of Allen Partners for joining us today on the MedTech Talk podcast. Uh, very uh, interesting conversation about the, the, the way that uh, finding new work and, and executive talent has changed uh, with social media, with uh, things like LinkedIn, 
and also the importance of uh, of work-life balance to, to everybody. Uh, we talked a bit, of course, about Andrew Cleland, who uh, walked away with our uh, MedTech Conference Innovator Award and uh, gave a very nice uh, nice speech that you can actually see up there on the MedTech Conference newsletter. Uh, so thanks again, Julie, for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us again. And don't forget to go to the MedTechConference.com for all the MedTech Conference uh, content you will ever need. <laughs>